0: I've mentioned in previous sessions that we haven't unpacked adequately what we really want to understand about what happens when we pray for each other. I've probably said at least two or three times over the course of the last three sessions that we're, we're trying to get delivered of the idea, the wrong idea, that getting people to pray for us is like, gathering petitions that we're going to make to God. If there's enough names on the petition, God will maybe change his mind and move on our behalf. That idea needs to be completely obliterated from our thinking. It needs to be replaced with an understanding, a biblical understanding, that God is calling us to pray for one another, not only because he wants us to be a participant in in what he's doing, but he wants us to be united to each other. Because you cannot pray for people without beginning to care about them, even enemies, which is one reason why you're told to pray for your enemies, among other reasons. So I want to pull the curtain back on a phrase that I have referred to a couple of times, and that is the energy of God. The energy of God. Now, when we speak of energy, you know, (laughs) Jim and and Carol uh, Shores come and and work with us every year at our conferences, and they do great comedy drama presentations. And and one of our favorite ones that they do uh, Carol plays uh, uh, a kind of a new agey, weird, eccentric aunt. Who comes to the family for uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, <laughs> Carol does a great job of portraying this weird little hint uh, and she one of the one of the things that she says is that she always sends people good energy, and of course, that's a, a mocking a, a light mocking way of describing some of the ideas that were prominent in the 1980s, especially among people of the New Age movement. The concept of the term New Age has kind of fallen out of our vernacular, but the concepts are still present and even more prevalent in some circles than they were before. The idea of sending someone good energy is not necessarily bad. I guess that's better than sending them bad energy, which is a form of cursing or a form of black magic. But good energy implies that uh, the universe is kind of an impersonal machine with forces that you can tap into at will, and hopefully you'll be uh, desiring to send people good instead of bad energy. Well, I hope you won't get confused as we go through some of these scriptures and I talk about what is happening when we pray for each other but even though obviously we're not interested in pursuing some kind of new agey, sending you good energy uh, versus bad energy ideas there is a very powerful energy that operates through human beings and psychic energy, energy of the soul, soul power, various terms that you might use in reference to this, Uh, we need to understand it so that we can stay clean from getting involved in the wrong kind of psychic energy and that we can gain some wisdom and insight into how human psychic energy, which is neither good or bad, it just is what it is, how it can operate and how we can avoid falling over into areas where we're borderline. We're not really walking in the spirit and we're not really just being human. We are practicing a kind of exerting of energy that could easily be hijacked by other forces in the spirit world that are not holy and that are always on the lookout for human energy that it can mix with and confuse people with and do all kind of damage with. Well, the original energy, the source of all energy, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light of being, the Amplified says. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, when God says, let there be light, we tend to think of that verse as only referring to the production of what we think of as turning on the light. But that's not what's going on here in Genesis 1. 1, let there be light refers to let there be the energies that end up creating everything else. Physicists tell us that everything is created by light. Everything has light energy flowing through it. Now, there's two kinds of energy, obviously. There is uh, natural energy, which is subject to the second law of thermodynamics, which is fallen, which is affected by the fall It has to be re-energized. It has to have energy put back into it. Once the energy has been used up, it's got to be replenished, so to speak. That's not good physics, but it's just uh, a way of us understanding that the energy in us has to be replenished. In our body, it has to be replenished. We have to eat again. We have to drink again. We have to rest until our energy is restored. Then there's another kind of energy that is the source of all other energy that doesn't have to be replenished, but is itself the replenishing force of the universe. John chapter 1, Jesus is the light that lights every person in the universe or in the world. Matthew 5 verse 14, Jesus then says to us, his people, you are the light of the world. Because in John chapter 1, he's the light of the world. He says to us, we are the light of the world. Now Paul, we talked about this whole concept in Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 3. When Paul is praying for God's people and he says, I, want, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and this is what I pray for you. I pray that your eyes will be flooded with light, that you will be able to comprehend with all the saints the height, the breadth, the depth, the length, to know the love of Christ that surpasses mere human knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. If you do a word study, uh, just pursue the subject of light in the scriptures, uh, especially with reference to prayer, and to, to us being the light of the world after Jesus has said he's the light of the world, and you begin to understand there's a bond between us and the Lord Jesus that is more than just believe It's more than just you believing the right things about Jesus, although that's a good thing. There is a sharing of energy. and I, I can't find a way of expressing this in language that will avoid misunderstanding. If you've been exposed to new age error on the subject of light energy and uh, crystals and healing vibrations and all the rest of it, don't fall into the equal opposite error of disregarding all those things as if they have no validity. People get healed in New Age type groups. Uh, people got healed in Christian science reading rooms and other places which deny the basic foundational truths of Christianity. Uh, psychic healers do get results. And they're not always manifestly evil practices. They can look really good, look really helpful. Psychics can tell people true information. If just getting true information from someone is your only criteria for measuring whether their message is right or not, you can sure get duped. Because uh, There are real psychics. Of course there's plenty of fakery on all sides. There's fake Christian ministries, there's fake psychic healers, but there's real Christian ministries and yeah, you better believe it, there's real psychic healers. The psychic healers are in a dangerous territory even if they're trying to do the right thing by people but they're in dangerous territory because they are trying to operate in an energy that is under the sway of principalities and powers and world rulers of this present darkness, which we've referred to repeatedly in previous times together. So when when you try to develop psychic energy, you may at first be rather innocently approaching the subject but uh, you, you are putting up a red flag in the spirit world that evil spirits will see and they'll, they'll run to it like wolves to a, a wounded uh, animal. They smell the blood and they will come pouring over to give their assistance to the flow of that energy And though the energy itself at first may have been merely human, that doesn't mean it's not somewhat supernatural, but it's human supernatural. You know, people who have dreams, people who have intuitions, people who have visions about the future and can see things coming before they come, people who know when somebody in the family is going to die two days before, they always have somebody who dies two days later because they got their apparition or their intuition or whatever. These these can be merely human, but if we try to practice them and take hold of them and treat them as if they are some kind of gift that we're supposed to develop, evil spirits are glad to pour into it and take you or whoever pays attention to you doing that in a direction that is uh, erroneous at best and uh, dangerous at at worst and can end up actually being a demonic inroad for worse things. So having said all that, I want to read to you, by by the way, there's a a video on YouTube that Martha Mullins pointed me to a few days ago and I would like for you to to go to it. It's The Power of Ten and spell out the number 10, not the word 10. The Power of 10, 1977, YouTube. And you will watch about a nine-minute film there that is not talking about psychic energy, but it will help you understand a little more of what we talk about when we, we talk about quantum physics. We talk about the quantum world. First it takes you into the upper realm of outer space to the power of 10. Then it brings you back down to Earth and goes in the other direction to the microscopic, from the macroscopic above to the microscopic below. And when you get to the microscopic, you reach a point where the commentator says, uh, we enter now into the quantum field, and then once he speaks of the quantum Field for a few minutes, he says, "This is the limit of what we know now uh, this was again, this was made in nineteen seventy seven i don't know if there's an updated version of it I'm sure there probably is, but even if you can't find an updated version, the nineteen seventy seven version will give you a picture of what we refer to when we talk about quantum realities, and one of the things that we've had to face. When studying quantum physics, one of the things that upset Einstein so much about it, he hoped it wasn't real, and he went through great effort to try to disprove that activity in the quantum realm was totally different from activity in the Newtonian realm. The realm of physics of Isaac Newton that we've all been taught since childhood and that we're used to. Uh, Newtonian physics deals with big objects, relatively big objects, and how they relate to each other. But quantum physics goes into a realm where things just don't behave the same way. And uh, time and space don't have the same meaning. And uh, Einstein didn't like it. He said, uh, That's where he says that God doesn't play loose with the universe. Uh, His idea of a God that has constructed the universe was one of Newtonian mechanical trustworthiness. And Newtonian mechanical trustworthiness is certainly true. Or we wouldn't be able to build a building, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of things, But quantum physics opened the door for an electronics revolution that began in the 1940s and has increased to the point now that we can't hardly tell the difference between the physical realm and the spirit realm. Sometimes we laughingly joke about, gosh, my phone is almost like magic or my whatever, you name the electronic thing. Uh, and in, I talked about movies and how in movies there's this undefined line between the physical and the spiritual, or the, the Newtonian physics and the quantum physics, and all the rest of it. Well, the point I'm making in mentioning all that is, God keeps allowing us to discover levels of reality that fly in the face of what we thought we knew and what we absolutely said. We've gone as far as we can go, we can't go any farther. There's these other realms always, these new realms uh, that can be penetrated and understood. And so Psalm 39 verse 9 says, With you is the fountain of life. In your light shall we see light. God is the author of these things, obviously, and he is the one who wants us to discover them. It says in Proverbs chapter 25, uh, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, it's the glory of kings to uncover them. And so as we continue to uncover and understand and work with the, the created world, whether it's Newtonian or quantum, we are making tremendous strides. But because of our rebellion and our arrogance and our devotion to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instead of the tree of life, see it says, Psalm 39 says, you're the fountain of life. In your light shall we see light. But we don't want the fountain of life. We want our light to be uh, light that is our own. We want to start our own fire. Remember, what Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden. You will decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. That's the foundation of the fall. Is man deciding for himself what is good and what is evil? One writer says man would rather be unhappy in rebellion against God than happy in obedient relationship with God. And that is a summation of evil, uh, one of them. Now, in order to give you a little better understanding of some of this, I want to read to you a few stories related to the discoveries made with reference to quantum weirdness, the strange things that happen on the quantum level. So what has all this got to do with prayer? Well, it'll make more sense to you in a few minutes. In 1998, uh, researchers scraped cells from the roof of a subject's mouth and placed them in a test tube. The tube of scrapings was then connected to a polygraph, which is a lie detector. But polygraphs measure more things than just whether we're lying. The persons from which the cell scrapings were taken were also connected to a polygraph but in a separate part of the building. Then they had the person watch various films or TV shows. Some were peaceful, some were violent, some were stimulating, but they, all these shows affected the emotions in good and bad ways. They found that the scraped cells reacted exactly in concert with the person's responses. Peaceful scenes produced peaceful reactions in the person, and the exact same measurements simultaneously re- registered in the scraped cells in the test tube. Now, this was repeated at increasing distances, and finally, after five days and a separation of 50 miles, the same measurements were still active in both the person and the person's scrapings that came from their mouth and placed in a test tube. That doesn't explain every psychic or supernatural encounter on every level, but it certainly does take away any idea that we, or should take away any idea that we have that there is a vast difference between the physical world and what we might call the spirit world. Let me just say something here before I go further and and give you a few more stories here about this. This whole issue of, of the physical world versus the spirit world or versus the psychic world, you know, spirit has to do with the spiritual, psychic has to do with the soulish there, I don't have time to get into this in the detail that I probably should, but sometimes you might notice in Scripture the soul and the spirit are referred to interchangeably. But Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and again in the writer of Hebrews chapter 4 makes reference to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit the joints and the marrow. James chapter 3, a verse we're going to look at more in detail in just a little while, talks about uh, wisdom which is not from above but is earthly, soulish, and demonic. Now, see, the soulish is not demonic. All psychic phenomena is not demonic. All premonitions are not demonic. But the reason we don't pursue them, and the reason we don't encourage people to develop their psychic energy or their psychic gifts is because 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one. The God of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 refers to him, the little g. Ephesians chapter 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, the offspring of rebellion. So when we refuse to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, and worse than than beyond that, you can't get worse than that, but beyond that, in alliance with that same spirit, we decide we're not only not going to submit to Jesus, but we are going to seek to develop our own psychic energy or our own psychic strength as if we are our own God, we are inadvertently, maybe, but the Bible says it's because of our rebellion. So on a a certain level, it's certainly not inadvertent. It's a willful fist in God's face, so to speak. We are saying that we are going to decide for ourselves what is good versus what is evil. This is not just in the realm of psychic energy. It can be in the realm of business, it can be in the realm of show business, it can be in the realm of sports, it can be in any realm where we decide we're going to be our own God and we're going to be the captain of our fate and the uh, determiner of our own destiny and all that chest-thumping kind of machismo that can take you right over the cliff into the hands of darkness. So anyway, Please keep in mind when we talk about the spirit world, the psychic realm, and the natural realm, don't get so categorized in your thinking that you think of those as totally disconnected from one another. They're very much connected to one another, and what we do with our body affects the spirit realm What we do in the spirit realm affects our body and then the psychic realm in between the two is where we can choose to either submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and let him direct us toward what he wants us to do and be and to develop or whether we choose to embrace the demonic by embracing the psychic. Not that they're the same thing. But when we embrace the psychic, we are moving toward the embracing of potentially the demonic. When I talk about this, I think of movies and music and art. I think of a young man that we ministered to years ago who was showing signs of drug overdose. But uh, when we got him to the hospital, there was no drugs in him at all and uh, later on talking to him and praying with him, he had had the same reaction to the music he was listening to as he might have had if he had been taking LSD. The music had become the doorway. Uh, You know, songs like Break On Through to the Other Side by the Doors. Jim Morrison wrote that song in reference to a, a demon spirit that he with and that he interacted with and talked to. and The spirit told him one night to break on through to the other side. Well, it was through the music that he broke through, quote, to the other side. Movies do this. I've spent some time in, years ago in previous nightlights. I probably need to revisit it now that movies are even more high-tech and more capable of uh, seducing and hypnotizing, and taking people into another dimension while they're sitting passively under the the power of photons that are aimed at their psyche, but energized by powers of darkness. Not to mention the story that may be a demonic story. But that's too much to unpack here, necessarily. Einstein had a, a series of experiments that he financed in 1935, called the Einstein-Podolsky-Rosen experiments. In 1935, these three researchers tested the idea that there is cellular communication in humans on a quantum level that is not subject to the normal laws of Newtonian physics. It was the result of this experiment that I just read to you about from the the scrapings uh, of the mouth. It was connected to this original experiment by Einstein. Einstein called it spooky behavior. It's a great scientific term. Spooky behavior of the cells. I remember Dwight telling me one time, Dwight, who was so erudite and so well-spoken and so professorial, Uh, He looked at me over his glasses after he heard me tell a story of some spooky encounter I had had with some demonic situation. and He he didn't change his expression at all. He just looked at me over his glasses and said, Clay, that's some spooky dookie. Which I thought was (laughs) pretty funny terminology for a Hebrew scholar. Anyway, uh, Einstein said the spooky behavior of the cells, he hoped to prove it was not happening because it was happening, uh, shaking his long-held view that everything is determined with no freedom of variation in its outcomes. See, that was Einstein's concern. He said, "I, I believe everything is already determined. The universe is set in cement. Now he was speaking from a from a, a physics standpoint. But he was saying something that many well-meaning but misguided Christians have thought based on their interpretation of Genesis chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and various other references to God establishing the universe or establishing the world. God creates the universe and uh, it was rightly understood by early Uh, scholars that the word light there is not referring, as I said a while ago, to mere photons. It's referring to the whole spectrum. That in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, God is creating what we are now discovering and referring to as multi-dimensions. The multi-dimensions were created there in Genesis chapter 1. But in those multi-dimensions we are now facing the fact ever since the early twenties in these early experiments, that there are there are activities in the quantum world that don't don't seem to adhere to the laws of physics as we have determined them or as 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 we have understood them. We haven't determined them, we've discovered them and we've made some conclusions based on what we've discovered, but you know, and there's a there's a constant tug of war. You can read all kinds of different points of views in physics just like you can read all kinds of different points of views in theology. And all of it's got some good, none of it's got the whole story. And it's helpful to understand it, but the bottom line is what Einstein was trying to prove was everything is set. There is no freedom, there is no unexpected behavior. It's all going to be according to predetermined and prediscovered Uh, rules of of activity and then it it turned out not to be. It did prove out that there is on the quantum level communications and seemingly spontaneous actions that mean not only that determinism is not set in stone but that distance is not a hindrance in communication as we saw in the previous research. The research was repeated, tested, and retested, and still is, by the way, still being tested to this day. And if you want to fall into a never-ending ocean of conflict, confusion, and arguments, way over our heads, and in my humble opinion, very fruitless for the most part, just wade into the waters of quantum physics theories, If you have the mathematical imagination to be able to do it, it's safer out here with the non-math dummies like me. I have learned that no matter how far out an impressive physicist's ideas may be, he still has to live in the real world just like the rest of us, still puts his pants on just like I do, still has to operate uh, in the same frustrating world as I do. But his theories can go off into all kinds of uh, fanciful places. Anyway, one experiment they introduced two people who previously did not know each other. They were given a few minutes to gain brief acquaintance. Just brief. Hello, how are you? My name is so and so. Then they were both connected to an EEG, an electroencephalograph, to measure neurological activity. These two people were separated by about 50 feet and placed in a Faraday cage which is a device designed to block radio signals or all normal energy but does allow the flow of quantum energy. If you're in a Faraday cage you turn on a radio in the room the radio might be 10 feet from you but it cannot penetrate the Faraday cage. But quantum energy Faraday Cage can't stop it. Both people were also connected to an EEG, which monitored their neurological activity. They shined a pin light in the eye of the first person, but not the eye of the other person. Shining a light in someone's eyes causes measurable neurological activity and visible constriction of the pupils. At the instant they did this, the neurological activity of both people showed the same EEG activity and the same pupil constriction. They changed people and separated them farther and farther apart, but still with the same results each time. Outside quantum physics, these experiments would appear to be mystical. What we have called mystical in the past is is most of the time simply where someone has learned to use the natural functions of quantum physics for a particular application. The truth is simply that before now, we have not understood how this could possibly happen before. As we begin to understand quantum physics, we gain insight as to how these things can occur, actually occur. Given enough opportunity, virtually nothing is impossible. What we considered mystical is not mystical at all, but simply quantum physics that we haven't understood because we have been operating under Newtonian theories. That's a quote from a physics book. Now, it would be a huge side road to take for us to examine the mindset of some current physicists and the various ideas they put forth about how quantum physics relates to scripture. We can't afford to chase or to open those cans of worms here. I don't know that they would be that helpful anyway. And believe me, it is a can of worms. But let's just offer a few important ideas regarding the relationship to physics, divine design, and spiritual reality. I don't know about you, but most people myself included, tend to think that the natural is the physical world, and the supernatural is the invisible world. We think of real things as what we can contact with our five senses in the natural world. So even if we say we believe, we tend to really believe that what cannot be contacted by the five senses is either quote, not real, or less real. I'll give you a common example that we all know from C.S. Lewis, where he describes uh, Jesus walking through the wall, so to speak, to be uh, with his disciples after the resurrection, even when the doors and windows were shut and locked. Actually, we don't even know if walking through the wall is the right way to say it. Lewis wisely says it is not that the wall was solid and Jesus was Ghostly, or the wall was more real and Jesus was less real. It was the other way around. Jesus, who is ultimate reality, would not be stopped by the ghost like, gaseous, vaporous wall. The Bible says, what is this life? It's but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. That's not just poetic language. It might have been poetic language when the psalmist wrote it, but even though he was writing poetry, he was actually writing good physics. What is this life? It's just a vapor. Jesus walked through the wall not because the wall was less, uh, he was less solid than the wall, but because he was more solid than the wall. There's no threat to faith by learning these things, for heaven's sakes, For Earth's sakes, I should say. Quantum physics knows that what we're saying is accurate. The Bible knows that what we're saying is accurate. It agrees with scriptures. Everything is made of energy or light. An atom is the building block of everything we can see. But the atom is made of energy which we cannot see. So the things we see are, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 3, are not made of things which do appear or things which are visible. Have you ever wondered at what point reality moves from natural to supernatural? We've brought that up before. Well, that's a huge subject. But for now, let's just settle this one question. Technically, I believe it is more accurate to say that only God himself is supernatural. Everything else in all of creation is under the realm of physics, whether Newtonian physics or quantum physics. That includes angels and demons and devils even if they are invisible, that doesn't mean they are not part of the fabric of the created universe. In fact, heaven itself is a created thing. Only God himself is beyond created order. So when astrophysics refers to different dimensions, it's trying to map out a real portion of the created order, which the scripture refers to as the third heaven, or the heaven of heavens, or highest heaven, etc., it is not some vaporous realm of foggy unreality that is over there somewhere and is not even real compared to our solid physical realm. It's all natural creation because it's all created. Only God is in the fullest sense supernatural. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God, the blessed and only ruler, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to him be honor and glory forever. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, and many other verses we could turn to. And it seems that the line of demarcation between what we think of erroneously as natural, visible, versus supernatural, invisible, is the line that actually divides Newtonian physics from quantum physics. Many things in the quantum physics realm seem to supersede the laws of Newtonian physics. I've said that already several times. But as I said, this is too much to pursue here. Just get the point that the realm of supernature, which we have tended to keep in our imagination as not natural but supernatural, is still all part of the created order and is not so separated as we tend to think. I don't mean to bore you with too much repetition, but we have had the wrong way of thinking so deeply and repeatedly ingrained in us that it will take some time and practice to purge out the old and really begin to think scripturally and biblically concerning the real truth. Or, let me say it a different way, maybe I'm not saying it right at all. Maybe God has created a completely different set of physics which applies only to angels and heavens and which also apply to the evil angels as well. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that reason that we cannot see angels in the normal mode is that they move faster than light unless they are purposefully taken into human form. Now moving faster than light is a struggling theory of current quantum physics. There's an argument over it, like I told you. But anyway, for some people, this is all just a silly pursuit. Angels are supernatural, so we cannot perceive them, and that's that. But my reason for dwelling on the issue of only God being truly, ultimately supernatural and all other beings, including the angelic or the demonic, and the human as being on the same basic plane of existence or only a bit higher than our natural realm. You know, the Bible says God has created the angels a little bit higher than man. He's created man a little lower than the angels, I should say. And Jesus, when he came to earth in the incarnation, was created a little lower than the angels. Obviously, this lower is referring to their physicality and the realm in which they live It's not talking about hierarchy of authority and so forth. But God being truly, ultimately supernatural and all other beings including the angelic and the demonic and the human is being on a different lower plane of existence uh, is that we have become progressively unaware of the spirit realm realm around us or of the spiritual connection we have with nature with other people, with the angelic world. And this is bound to diminish our prayer life and its effectiveness. Oswald Chambers said the greatest gift we've been given to support an effective prayer life is our imagination. And when your imagination has been stultified and shrunk down to the size of your own limited, five-cents-controlled Psyche, and of course, your prayer life—your prayer life—is very boring. If at best it's boring, uh, I mean, you give up praying. When you go into prayer, if your imagination can be led by the Holy Spirit into realms beyond you and beyond the room you're in then you can pray for China and you can pray for Yemen and you can pray for the Sudan and you can pray for your cousin who lives in San Francisco and all the other things. There's a sense of going outside yourself. But you talk about that to some Christians and they will start acting like you're speaking from some occult, false Christianity. That Now you're into astral projection. Now, I will say that some people are sometimes in a realm of spookiness that I don't know whether to believe or not, and I don't know whether to trust or not. And we just have to wait and see when, when people say that they're taken out of their body. Well, we have scripture for that. We, we have New Testament scripture for that. Uh, if you have to have New Testament scripture that supports certain experiences, And I don't see anything wrong with you wanting Scripture to support it, but not to the point that it's got to be exactly the same exact uh, detailed event. You know, that's a narrow way of of looking at it. The Holy Spirit may take people into all kind of realms that we're not used to and and we don't know anything about. I mean, I would be disappointed to think that's not true as we approach the close of the age. Yet. At the same time, that doesn't mean we've got to be need to be gullible and foolish and uh, be so open minded that our brain falls out. So, in closing, let me ask you some questions. The spirit realm is created, it is not a state of existence that is equal to God because God created it. So, it's above us in the natural realm, but it's still below God. Is this psychic or even demonic to think this way? The psychic realm is human but fallen and is a favorite realm of evil spirits to act in. Buddhist monks, Hindu priests, Taoists, as well as western occultists interact with psychic energies and produce impressively seemingly miraculous results I've said that already those who regard such things as superstition are themselves woefully ignorant of a level of reality that is becoming increasingly documented and empirically measured but we must not relegate the human soul to the realm of the demonic. To be soulish is to be the devil's playground. Let me say that again. To be soulish is to be the devil's playground. I've I've sat through many so-called worship services that that were soulish. They were just, I don't mean this to be critical. I'm not trying to be critical. This is not a matter of taste in music. It's a matter of the spiritual energy that was in the room. And the energy in certain meetings that I've been in is far more horizontal than it is vertical. It's not going up to God. It's going horizontally in people. Uh, Sometimes it's childishly soulish. Now by that I mean that it's just uh, sentimental and emotionalistic and uh, about on the same level as a slow dance in a high school sock hop. hop. But it can get more dangerous than that where it actually begins to be uh, invoking spirit power through the music. Even if it's Christian music that is uh, that is demonic. I've had demonic manifestations. I'm not trying to impress anybody with my spirituality. Mary sees these kinds of things a lot more than I do, but on occasions I've seen evil spirits uh, look at me and challenge me in meetings where we were supposed to be worshiping the Lord, but the, the whole atmosphere of the room was filled with a soulish, almost erotic, if not fully erotic, uh, energy. Uh, this is songs that, I, I, I hate, I hate to use this terminology because I, I promise you, I do not want to be critical, but it's what I call Jesus is my boyfriend kind of music. Uh, the, the songs are Modelling, emotionalistic, romanticized, horizontal. They do not worship the great eternal king of the universe and bow before him. They are really just a romanticized version of Christian music that uh, doesn't help anybody. If, If anything, it can make... Whatever in the souls of people that are wounded in an area of relationship, it can actually make them uh, leave more confused and more wounded and more stirred up in the wrong way. That's what I mean when I say to be soulish is to be the devil's playground. I don't mean being soulish is by itself evil. Let's don't go way the other direction and make the human soul something evil. Uh, This is why Leanne wrote, one of the books that she wrote was titled Restoring the Christian Soul. And that title was meant to address the fact that Christians had completely thrown the soul away. Okay, but to have a soul is to be human. Only the word of God can discern the difference between the soulish and and the spiritual, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And the soul, which is the real you, is who and what Jesus came to save along with your body. The spirit is the energy of both the body and the the soul. Okay, so what about this question? If this is a neutral human reality, can it ever be used in a good way? Or is it always bad? We talk about soul ties, for instance. We talk about people who need to be cut free from soul ties. If you don't know that term, the Bible says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you join yourself to a prostitute, you've become one with her. That's obviously a bond that was only supposed to be between a husband and wife. There are other kinds of soul ties. There are soul ties that we have with our children, with our parents. There are soul ties that we have with close friends who are like family to us. Uh, they're not sexual soul ties. They're, they're heart bonds and they're good. They're not wrong. In the book of Esther, when Esther says to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you. for Don't tell me not to follow you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my my God. And should anything but death separate us, may it not be. That's a wonderful, good soul time. Mary and I actually quoted that to each other in our marriage vows. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. That's a right soul tie. But then there are those soul ties where we have engaged with people emotionally and or sexually where we have become, maybe even if you're not sexually uh, have not sexually been involved with someone, you become obsessed with them and you have bonded with them in an idolatrous way and you are demanding that life come to you through them at their expense even almost like vampirism. Uh, psychic vampires are it's actually a valid terminology that refers to an invalid behavior of people who have become emotional vampires of other people. They just suck the life out of them. Uh, it's reported that on three different occasions when Carl Jung walked in the presence of Sigmund Freud, after he and Freud had their falling out and lost their relationship with each other, that Freud would see Jung across the room and he would pass out. Uh, Like he was so connected to Jung in the wrong way that he couldn't bear his presence. Anyway, there's lots of versions of that. Human affections can be highly sensitive and produce psychic knowledge. I felt my son was suddenly in danger, though he was miles away. I knew Grandma had passed from this life, though we had not gotten to the hospital yet. We all heard things like that. That is not something to be ashamed of, and it's certainly not something to necessarily pray against, as if it's evil. It's the, the, the human love and bond that we have with our family, with our loved ones, is a precious thing. It's a good thing. It needs to stay sanctified, needs to stay under the cross, we need to do what Jesus said and forsake our father, mother, brother, sister, everything, anyone, anything that comes to us in a way that seeks to take his place and and fill the place that only he can fill. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about not allowing your relationships to become uh, impure or idolatrous. So yes, there are good Psychic energies that pass between us. Now, what about psychic energy when it comes to prayer for people? This gets a little more dangerous. Watchman Nee tells in a little book that's hard to find that he wrote many years ago, "The Latent Power of the Soul." It's a good book, and if you can find it, you need to you need to read it. Um. But he tells in there about how he began to be sick, physically sick, and he couldn't get well. And he kept trying to get well, and he kept trying to recover. And the more he tried, the worse he got. He was completely bedridden for six weeks. Till an elderly Chinese pastor came to see him, and he said, I know the reason that you're sick. It's because there are Christians who are at odds with you, and they are praying against you, and they are asking uh, for you to be uh, taken out. They are actually trying to kill you, and their prayers are the reason that you're sick. Then he laid hands on Watchman Knee and broke the power of these prayers and. Uh, Watchman Knee was immediately healed and recovered. Now we don't like this story because it naturally stirs up the question, well who was answering their prayer? They're Christians. They're not praying to the devil, they're praying to God. Is God answering their prayer? Well obviously no. God has nothing to do with their prayer. Why does it have negative power? because we are made in God's image and likeness and our soul exerts energy. This is common information. We all really know it by experience, but if we've come from a spiritual background that forbids us to think in realistic terms, we may end up not paying attention to things that could help us uh, Understand some struggles we're in. Uh, haven't you ever been around a human being who you care for? In the long run you always want good for them, but you would rather not be in the room with them. They seem to just suck the life out of you. They walk in the room and the whole atmosphere of the room becomes negative, becomes difficult and you just feel drained by them, just by the minute they walk in the door. Psychic energy is a real thing. You you can rise above that. The way you rise above that is, first of all, recognize that there is a human psychic energy coming at you from this person, and you don't have to acquiesce to it, you don't have to bow to it, uh, and you don't need to be rude or unloving or sin against them, but you just ask the Lord to protect you. I remember uh, the early days of our marriage. The, Mary and I were speaking somewhere where, where I had been known before I was married, and there were people in the audience that did not like me marrying Mary. Uh, I won't go into that story more than just what I've already said, but we got back to the hotel. She was undressing, and I, I looked at her, at her back and her arms. She was Covered in bruises. She was bruised on her arms, bruised on her back, bruised all over. She looked, I mean, I could have been arrested. <laughs> I said, Darlene, what in the world has happened? She said, I felt it standing on the stage next to you. I could feel this psychic anger coming at me from different places in the audience, and I could feel the physical contact. Now, this is like Uri Geller bending forks and knives and spoons with his, with his mind. Now, by the way, uh, he did that after encountering, if I remember right, after encountering a, a UFO. UFOs uh, are part of this misuse of energy. Now, UFOs are in a different category. They are principalities and powers above the earth, operating in the fabric of, the, uh, of another dimension. And uh, I won't get into that, except to use it as an illustration to say that, see, there, there are different levels of this. There's mere human psychic energy. There's demonic psychic energy. But then there's principalities and powers that are not demonic. They are angelic. And they are of a much higher realm with much greater power. The prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2 refers to. And then Ephesians 6 that we all know so well. Principalities and powers and rulers of this present world darkness who dwell in heavenly places or in the upper realms of of the earth's atmosphere. Well, James chapter 3 verse 16 which I mentioned a while ago but I want to read it now in closing. James 3.16 says the wisdom which is from above is peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of good fruits. But the wisdom which is from below is full of striving. It's not from above, it's from below. It is earthly, soulish, and demonic. Demonic. Now if soulish was the same thing as demonic, it would be a redundancy to say earthly, soulish, and demonic. But there's a progression here, I believe. It's, first it's earthly, it's just human. Then it's soulish. This is where you begin to willfully try to use your energy to uh, influence people psychically. This would come in the realm of cruising. Cruising trying to seduce people with your look, with your eyes or frighten people or put curses on people or make people intimidated with the look on your face, things of that nature. And when you do that, then you step over into the territory where the demonic can come in and turn you into its pack mule. For where there is jealousy and contention, There also will be confusion. The Aramaic translation says chaos. There will be chaos, the realm of confusion, and then every evil work. Now, in closing, let's say this uh, based on Watchman Nee's story. These people were not they, they were not praying in love, and they were not praying in godliness, and they were not praying in faith. They were praying in what they thought was love or what they thought, well, maybe they didn't think it was love. They thought it was spiritual. They thought it was Christian. They might have even been using the name of Jesus, which is terrible. But they were praying for a brother to be hindered because they didn't like what his ministry was doing. Let's all be careful here. Let's all take notice here. Let's be careful. Even Clay, when we're talking about politicians we don't like or uh, politicians who don't deserve our support because they're, they're operating in realms that are supporting every evil thing. They are earthly, sensual, and soulish, and demonic. They're operating that way. The only way you can successfully pray for such people is to ask God to show you his heart for that person and pray for their true self. You pray for their true self. Let me tell you something. I've known it, I've seen it happen to me more than one time. When I pray for a a crooked politician's true self, I can no longer criticize them or get angry at them when they come on the television. I'm tempted to, but I just can't do it. I always end up praying a blessing on their true self the greatest blessing that anybody can ever have is for the Holy Spirit to convict them of falsehood and bring them into the light. And so I pray that for them. I pray blessing for them. I pray a Holy Spirit enlightenment for them, conviction of their sins. That's a whole lot better than wasting energy and waste, not only wasting energy, which is the best you can get, but even maybe being a, an instrument of the devil to bring destruction upon them, you know. There's a story of the Russian Church when Peter the Great came to the throne of Russia as the Tsar. They all hated him. He was wicked and evil. They all hated him, and they began to pray against him. And everything they prayed against, uh, he he prospered in. Say, so well, why didn't that? Why didn't that work the same way as it worked with Watchman Knee when they prayed against him? He ended up in, in a sickbed. Uh, well, I think there's probably principalities and powers involved in, in certain prayers. and uh, When Christians abandon our proper responsibility for prayer, that all men might come to the knowledge of the truth, and we begin to pray against someone out of hatred or, ang- or anger or bitterness toward them, even though we think it's righteous, devils may prosper such a person, or the book Book of Proverbs says, uh, "Don't don't curse a man who is being chastened by the Lord, because God may stop chastening him and start blessing him." You know, that's a whole other subject. But we need to be really mindful of how we pray and how we speak. Well, let me say this in closing: When you pray. I think it's right for you to be aware that you're not only praying to God horizontally, uh, vertically. And you understand vertical and horizontal is a symbolic word. God is not geographically above you. He is high and lifted up above all things. But those are terms of language that don't really apply to geography. God is above us because God is great and greater than us and greater than all things and is holy, and we come before Him uh, in that spirit. But we also pray not only vertically but also horizontally. We pray blessing towards someone. We listen, you parents, you you parents. I may get to address it this more later, but you moms and dads out there, you spiritual moms and dads. Don't pray for your children when you're afraid. You know, I learned when praying for my children and my grandchildren, both natural and spiritual, I learned to pray two things before I start praying for them. I'll say, Father, I'm anxious. I'm concerned. My imagination has got all kinds of hurtful pictures in it of what might be going on in their life. And I really have not heard from you. I might be hearing from the devil. I might be hearing from my uh, flesh. I might be projecting my own waywardness when I was their age upon them when they're not even guilty of it. And that would be wrong. That would be sin. So before I can pray for my son, I pray for me in regard to my son that you would help me lay aside all anxiety and all fear so that I don't pray amiss by praying in unbelief and fear and judgmentalism and accusations. Even if I've got good reason to think they are in some kind of trouble or are behaving wrongly, my prayers for them, uh, you know, when you pray, Lord, you know, Make them miserable. Make them miserable. And we've all said that before. Let's be a little more careful with that. Just pray Holy Spirit convict them of their sins. That might make them miserable, but that's a lot better way of wielding the sword of the Spirit than just presuming that you have the right to ask Lord make them miserable. Uh, The Lord might want to save them from their foolish behavior by making them full of joy full of something so much more beautiful than what they're involved in that they realize uh being miserable against god is a whole lot fo- uh, is is just a foolish way of living uh when they could be happy with god anyway then the next thing i pray is father give me your heart for my son for my daughter let me see them through your eyes, and let me call forth in prayer their true self and bless their true self, and uh, that will automatically separate them from the ugly and the the ungodly and the whatever I'm trying to get them out of. So you can't deliver anybody. You can't save anybody. You're begging, crying, pleading, fearful prayers is certainly not helping them, and it's not blessing God, and it's not helping you. You end up leaving your prayer closet more miserable than you went in. So Father, I pray for every one of us, myself included, that you will help us pray horizontally in the spirit, not in the flesh, not in soulish prayers that are either innocuous and soulish or demonic and soulish, but that we will bless those that we want to pray for horizontally, and that we will recognize the the truth that we're learning even from quantum physics, that the man who was watching the the TV show that made him uh, react emotionally caused the scrapings in his mouth to react. They were 50 miles away, and the scrapings gave off the same psychic energy that he was experiencing watching the show. Help us remember, when we pray in fear, we might be communicating fear, or to use a misunderstood New Age term, bad energy. We're sending that bad energy when we think we're praying good things. We think it's a good thing to pray. Father, let us be praying good things. We pray, Father, for blessing and for your righteousness and your holiness and your goodness to draw my loved ones to repentance. Father, thank you for teaching us how to pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.